Welcome to the No Nonsense Nutrition Podcast with Brett, Ed, Fran, Johnny, Matt and Paul, helping you to build more muscle and to lose weight with a hint of banter and a dash of humour. Enjoy this week's episode. We're live. Hi. Hello. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this, is, this is a different yeah. intro than usual. Yeah. Trying to pretend we haven't just had a 20 minute chat. 20? <laughs> Go straight into it. 25. Um, 25. Chat, chat slash argument. Jokes. No, it's a base. Jokes. Jokes. Yeah, no, it's good. It'll be interesting to see how, uh, how the conversation flows given this week's topic. But before we do that, how the devil are you, my young lady? I am very well. It is definitely feeling like um, Christmas. Uh, everyone, yeah, everyone needs a bit of a break. I think from work and uni and everything. So I'm I'm well, but I'm looking forward to a bit of time uh, away from work and just kind of chilling out with my family. You, um, I've just had a break. I've just had a week hey. off. No, I have. I've just had another week. You said everyone needs a break. I've said I've just had a week off. Oh, yeah. Well, it's all right for some if you can just book a, a last-minute spontaneous trip to... Where do you go, Bruges? Bruges, yes. Belgium. But obviously, I, I talked all about in the last update, so we won't go into too much in it. But no, that, well, you say it was last minute, but it was also kind of planned in that in that week. I wanted to go somewhere. Just we didn't know exactly where. And last minute thought we weren't going to bother, but... I literally thought last minute actually we are going to bother so i booked it on a sunday night at 9 30 and went the following morning so um yeah it's quite short notice i have to say it kind of <laughs> inspired me a little bit because shortly after i saw you'd done that me and my flatmate went and booked flights to dublin oh, to lovely. go over for a few days to do like the christmasy markets and basically enjoy some christmasy um cool. things away from loughborough so yeah that pretty much spurred on by the fact that you've done a spontaneous holiday as well you'll love it i love christmas markets everything about a christmas market is amazing yeah we're only going for i think three days but we're gonna so, hope to pack a lot in and that's plenty of time dublin really? is known for its food so have you, have you been before uh no not to dublin i've been to belfast but okay. not you know you know it's a different country right yeah yeah i know i've got just my checking. just checking um no i've been to dublin i went to dublin on a stag do a few years ago um obviously make sure you do the gears factory it is well worth going as much yeah. as people go oh, it's so cliche and touristy but <clears throat> in my opinion it's worth going just for the guinness at the end because it does taste so different than any guinness that we get here like obviously the imports or the sorry the uh, imported stuff you can buy in supermarkets isn't too bad but the the stuff obviously that we have here in the uk is in the uk sorry in england is not the same as the stuff you get in 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 dublin island yeah, definitely see. not I can convince my friends to go along to that one then. Yeah, no, you should. It's I can't remember how much it is. Something like, I don't know, ten euros, and they get or ten, fifteen euros, something like that. And they get, you get a Guinness, a pint of Guinness at the end. Um, you get a little tasting through, and they obviously just show you how it's brewed and that type of stuff. Give you a little known fact about Guinness. What color is it? Brown. No, it's red velvet. Oh, ooh, no, that sounds a lot nicer than. Yeah, it's interesting because if you hold it up to the light. Certainly, if you get like a, because they give you a little shot glass full halfway around a tour, and they, they kind of, this is one of their obviously things, I'm going to ruin it for you now anyway, but um, they get you to hold up to light and ask you what color it is. And obviously, when everyone says, oh, it's black or it's whatever, because obviously it's known as the black stuff, punk black stuff, whatever it is. And hold it up to the light, and you see it, actually, it is, it's red. Can't believe it. Yeah. So, um, very interesting. Well, I'm going to be like the um, 
teacher's pet at the front of the class. <laughs> yeah. Um. <laughs> trying to think what else I did in Dublin. Obviously, it's a bit different on a stag do because I didn't do too much touristy stuff. I just got drunk. Temple Bar, where everyone goes, which is not an actual bar. Everyone thinks Temple Bar, just because there's loads of bars called Temple or as a yeah, I think there's more than one. There's loads of bars called Temple Bar. But it's actually like a district or a place rather than okay. one of it. So when you go to Temple Bar, you go to all the bars out there. But, you know, people play on the name. So um, that's worth going. Full of Irish little folk pubs and stuff. It's, it's so expensive, though. So it makes sure you take your credit card. Yeah. I, yeah. yeah it's hopefully, not... we can, hopefully we can do it quite cheaply. There's quite a few foodie places that we've been sent by various people as well to go and have a look at. So Yeah. Uh, if you want a burger recommendation... Farmer Browns. Farmer Browns. Amazing. I'll add Pro- that onto our list. <laughs> proper good. There's a really good Aussie barbecue place out in Dublin as well. I can't remember what it's called now. I think it's got a feeling it might actually have been called Aussie barbecue. Aussie barbecue? Yeah. Oh, we'll have a look. We're yeah. going to get a little itinerary together. Yeah, that's next. I think we're going next Tuesday. Lovely. Lovely. But should be nice. I'll enjoy that. How, uh, how's the training been? Uh, yeah, training's been really good. Um, the last couple of weeks, the last two weeks, have been um, following a slightly different program, um, and so far, so good. I'm making, oh, I've have made quite a few um, volume PBs, so PBing like my sets of six and sets sets of five and stuff. So, yeah, hopefully that will transfers over to one rep max strength when it comes to the time to add some more um, high intensity stuff in. Yeah, well, yeah, obviously more volume, hopefully more hypertrophy. More mm-hmm. hypertrophy and more muscle cross section, more force and strength development, and obviously a better one rep max. Hopefully, hopefully, fingers crossed. Eating yeah. lots of Christmas food in combination with that training, <laughs> hopefully. Yeah, it does help. So and some growth. Yeah, it does help. I must admit, like I've got to a point where my appetite is starting to creak a little bit. Um, although I'm trying to think, like I think obviously like this time January last year when we did the photo shoot prep started I think it was on about 182 pounds was there and I'm only I'm at my highest weight so far since then about 174 so I'm still quite a way off mm-hmm. I'm surprised at how my appetite's starting to dip a bit but I think that's maybe more the time it's, I've kind of been a bit better in terms of limiting the amount of weight gain so not as fast so I spent more time in the surplus but obviously yeah. at a slower rate um, yeah. at a different tempo might some might say um so, and I think that's obviously got something to do with it. Less time in a deficit rather than the amount of deficit and, and vice versa, obviously, more time in a surplus rather than the amount of surplus. I think that's helping, not helping. I think that's meant my appetite is less. But I think I'm hoping that's going to help in the long term in terms of limiting fat gain and, you know, getting those lean gains rather than, you know, the fat gains, which, you know, most of us end up doing, which I've done too many times in the past. Hence, I have no gains now because I basically got fat and dieted too much. Isn't it every time you go on holiday? Yeah, it's pretty much. All-inclusive holiday yep. every they... six months. <laughs> <laughs> Touche. Even then, even then though, like I think even though I put seven or eight pounds on, that's not a lot. Because you think the amount of water weight I held, over yeah. half of that probably, and it did dissipate quite quickly. So um, I've managed to, even though I've had two holidays since the photo shoot, two all-inclusive holidays, um, <laughs> I have managed to kind of still keep my weight uh, trajectory at a decent pace. So. Yeah. You you're on around maintenance now, is it? No, over and above now. So I've been okay. get, to be fair, I've been gaining for ages actually. So I think oh, I'm trying to think what well, I've been so long now. Um certainly since I've been back from the last holiday which was September, I think I had about two weeks at about maintenance. Um which well, my predicted maintenance, what I guessed my maintenance was. Um obviously you don't really know, do you? But what I guessed it was and I dropped about seven pounds of that like eight pounds I put on after those two weeks. 
So obviously that went really quick. Um, and then I've slowly crept up, I think probably only on average a couple of pounds since then, since September. So um, I've been in a smallish surplus. I mean, I'm on 2,900 calories now mm-hmm. for a bloke with a desk job. Yeah. Quite, quite happy with that. Obviously, I train a lot. I still purposely move a lot. I mean, I still average 12,000, 13,000 steps a day, even though I've got a desk job. Um, that's because yeah. obviously I purposefully make sure I get out and about um, when I can during breaks, more for my health than anything. So for those that are listening, if you go back to the episode of the podcast that we did with John Sykes, obviously he's one of the directors of the um, uh, British Journal of Lifestyle Medicine. Super cool dude, really nice chap, told us loads of stuff about it. It's not necessarily for health anyway, um, about the amount that you're active, i.e. this whole kind of 10,000 step rule. It's more around how often. So it's all well and good doing 10,000 steps, but you don't really want to do it in one chunk is the take-home point. And obviously, that's having an office job is basically what I try and do not or try not do. I try not to just have big chunks. So I'm constantly trying to move even when I'm in the office because so, I just don't like sitting around for too long because obviously it's not great for your health, according to the research. Yeah. So, no, um, I'm awful as well. I like to move or try and move at least every hour when my watch buzzes at me to tell me it's time. Yeah, well, that's, a, mate, that's, a, that's ideal, isn't it? And obviously, even yeah. if it's just for a few minutes, I think it's so well well worth while doing. I was talking today, actually, uh, to someone, one of my friends who happens to work at the same company as me. She was saying that they're talking about bringing in standing desks for everyone or yeah. certainly bringing in loads more so people can have a choice. Because, to be honest, the, the desk policy in, in most offices, insurance companies and stuff, or you know, large corporates, to be honest, um, a lot of them now use things what are called hot desk and we don't really get a desk even though you do, no one sits in your desk, but technically you could sit at any desk you want whenever you wanted. Um, it's supposed to be clear at the end of every day. Um, so obviously they're going to use like half of them stand up, half not, and you can just go sit on kind of what desk you want. And I think it's brilliant because we were talking about how, you know, at the moment you have to go through like DSE assessments where people have to assess your health and well-being. And if you've got back issues or whatever else, they might give you a standing desk. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's kind of, my point I made is like, well, actually, why do you have to wait until you get issues before they'll do that? Surely you should be trying to prevent those issues, i.e. give everyone standing desk before those issues happen. Because yeah. um, that makes sense, doesn't it? You know, prevention is better than cure and all that. So it's kind of like, well, I'd love that, actually. I think they have a standing desk. Because certainly the ones that we have in insurance offices generally tend to be, uh, they lower and raise. So as you can sit when you want, you can stand up when you want. Um, so they'd be ideal, but they cost so much money. Honestly, they cost several thousand pounds per desk. So I much. have um, a cardboard box that I put on top of my desk, and when I want to stand up, I put my cardboard box up and type, and then when I want to sit back down, I take it away. Student life. And that is yeah, exactly. That is budget, budget help. That works. Like, to be honestly, so obviously I've gone and banged on about it enough on the podcast, but I've got this proximal hamstring tendinopathy still, and. Uh, it actually is quite painful to sit on for long periods. So it just mm-hmm. feels like you're sitting on a stone or something. It's just or something in your back pocket all the time. So yeah. um, I made my own standing desk rather than go for all the rigmarole of having one of these DSE assessments and everyone come around, oh, you know, I oh, don't know if you should have one. I was like, oh, balls to this. So I just made my own. So I literally did something similar. I got like loads of laptop stands and just stacked them on top of each other. I'm sure, yeah. cause obviously my laptop then just sits on top of it and I just stand there. But I'm sure the health and safety people come around and go, that's not, that's not safe. You can't do that. So well, Give fucking. Give me a standing desk yeah, then. Yeah, exactly. Ah, oh, it's just such a rigmarole. Anyway. <laughs> but yeah, um, cool. Well, I'm glad training's going well, and I'm sure you're going to love Dublin. It's is a very cool place, and obviously the Guinness is fantastic. I'm very excited. So, yeah, nice. yeah, and obviously, um, so when so you say this Tuesday? Uh, not the one coming up Might the on following Tuesday. month. Oh, it'll be nearly Christmas. Yeah, I know. It's literally the week before Christmas, and then I go home, um, and I'll be home for Christmas for a week or so, and then back to Loughborough. Mm. Fabulous. Well, good. 
Good. It's been a, been a while since you've been on, actually, isn't it? I'm trying to think of the yeah, last episode again. Yeah, it's been a couple, maybe a month. Yes, yes. Right. Well, um, we'll obviously give out better uh, information, content, value, all of the super, superlatives or superlatives um, than we would do the last few couple of weeks because obviously you've replaced Ed, which is definitely an upgrade. Of course. <laughs> uh, although the Bran... The fret show isn't quite as good as the bread show. I don't know. The brand <laughs> show. The brand show. It sounds some sort of horrible, fiber-rich... Breakfast uh, <laughs> Well, I was going to say show, but yeah, breakfast It's the cereal. worst sort. Uh, well, I don't know. I really like Sultana brand. Am I weird? Oh, I quite like fruit and fiber, which is brown flakes. Yeah. And all of the raisins and stuff. Yeah, so. I like fruit and fiber as well. Um, and I quite like Alpen. Although I always buy the no added sugar variant, which I always instantly regret. Mm. Have you ever had no added sugar... Uh, um, Alpen. Yeah, I used to sprinkle it on yogurt quite a lot, but I haven't had it for a while. Yeah, well, that's not so bad on yogurt because at least you have it with something else that might taste better. But mm. I've, you know, like, I really like Alpen. I think, oh, this is lovely. And then you have the no added sugar one and think, yeah, this is fucking dirt. It's like in cardboard. It's disgusting. I have to admit, I put either sweetener or sugar on top of all of my cereal anyway. Oh, so Frost Frosties? I probably would. I haven't had Frosties for a while, but I just love oh, everything super sweet. I'll tell you what, near Christmas. We're going to do a cereal episode based solely on cereal, cereals. I know it's been done. I think Dan and Tom might have done one on the Push Pull Legs one. Yeah. Um, but still, fuck it. We're going to do our own. We plagiarise anything. We don't care. Yeah. <laughs> controversy there as well. You what? There'll be some controversy oh, there. Oh, and cereal choice. Yeah, probably. Yeah, I thought you were talking about in like there'll be some con- contro- controversy on plagiarism. Oh, no. <laughs> I mean, there will be. but podcast and disagree, so. Mm. Maybe we just get them, get them both on. We'll get Dan on again and get Tom on and we can just go through cereals together. But Frosties are amazing, honestly. Frosties are like one of those things where if you haven't had it in ages, when you have them again, like you think, oh my God, I don't yeah. know how good these are. Yeah, C- Clearly because they are literally like liquid sugar. Yeah. But amazing. So, yeah. Right, should we, uh, should we get into some content? Because obviously we're a little bit time restricted t- today. Um, yeah. Let's. So uh, for those that are listening, hopefully you've listened to the previous couple of weeks where myself and young shredded ed edward whitaker have gone through some kind of training material information content whatever you want to call it um i think obviously a couple of weeks ago went through the three perceived mechanisms of fran you might lift your camera up it's probably not the best view Uh, (laughs) good job good no it's good job this is on youtube Uh, um <laughs> uh, yeah, we went through the three uh, mechanisms of, of hypertrophy, and then last week we started going through what's important for training, um, inspired by the muscle and strength pyramids uh, from Freedom J or Eric Helms, uh, Annie Morgan, and Andrea Valdez. So big shout out to them. Uh, we thought we would continue this week by doing the final three. Um, so. Just to recap, we went through specificity because obviously, Fran, you've not listened to the previous one, so it's worth me just telling this just for your benefit. But we went through um, specificity, which isn't including the pyramid, but myself and Ed thought actually that's super important and probably as or more important than all of the others. Um, purely because obviously, if you're running and you really want to be good at powerlifting, that's probably not a good thing. Um, just basically specificity in its overall guise is, is just really key. Um, obviously, then it was adherence uh then it was shit my memory shit uh volume intensity and frequency what else did we talk about so adherence volume intensity frequency and progression progression yes 
that's uh, progression progression overload have you you motherfucker (laughs) (laughs) i haven't i swear to god this is from memory um so obviously what we wanted to cover today was the next three which is uh exercise selection temp oh which way around rest exercise tempo rest periods rest periods exercise selection tempo this is obviously where it's going to get fruity Mm -hmm. so to say so um I would like to preface this with something obviously in our pre-conversation, pre-recording conversation where I said, um, when you said that you were concerned about not necessarily being able to be seen as an expert in any of those areas, I said, yeah, well, neither am I, neither Mm -hmm. are any of us. Um, So, and also, and the fact that none of them fucking matter, then I don't think it matters. (laughs) No, I joke, I joke. No, I kind of joke, half joke. Um, they are at the top of the pyramid, i.e. the smallest part of the pyramid, for a reason, let's be honest. So as much as um, they're not massively important, and I still think the meat and potatoes is probably that bottom one, um, if you take out specificity, so adherence. Um, let's be honest, if you're sticking to something for long enough, you're going to probably get 80% of what you need to anyway. Um, no matter if your volume's off, your intensity off, your frequency's off, your progression you kind of need some sort of progression, otherwise you're obviously going to stop. But still, anyway, yeah, I think as long as you're doing something for long enough and that's specific, I think you're probably going to... You'll, you'll probably get your volume, your intensity, and some form of progression. You'll get some part of the way, if not a good chunk of the way, purely by luck or whatever you want to call it, stoicism, as in sticking to something, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So... Uh, that's why I think we'll probably have a good debate about these things and whether they really matter, whether they not really matter, whether they kind of matter at all or what influence or what reason you might want to even think about. So um, shall we start with, I'll give you the benefit of, uh, so let's go, obviously let's start with obviously the next, so obviously we talked about here in volume intensity, frequency, progression, exercise selection. Um, don't really need to define it because I think it pretty much defines itself. Yeah. Um, I don't know if we want to, so obviously for people that are actually putting together maybe their own training plan. Yeah. Should we give them some tips or how, where do you start with exercise selection, I suppose? Do you want me to go? Yes. Or do you want to go? Or, or do you want to do um, Because we haven't, prepped, we haven't prepped this, have we? So. No, I'll ramble a little bit and then you can always jump in. Um, I suppose I'll preface my stuff by saying that most of my um, training knowledge uh, is more around powerlifting. Um, so quite specific to squatting, benching and deadlifting. So obviously, in my case, the exercise selection revolves quite heavily around squatting, benching and deadlifting because that is what we compete in. Um, But then when it comes further down to, I suppose, just training for hypertrophy, um, my kind of what I would always say is you need to find exercises that target or work the muscles um, that you want them to work. for you I think I said that really badly but for example if you hate squatting and you just don't have the biomechanics to make it a comfortable movement at all and you feel like you can progress something like um, a leg press or even just something like a box squat rather than um, like doing a free weight squat better then that might be a better option for you so like there's no um, like there's no one exercise that you have to be doing Unless you're a powerlifter like you. Unless you're a powerlifter. There's a variety of ways to get a stimulus on the muscle. 100%. Um, so, yeah. 
Yeah, 100%. I think on that point, like, you're, we obviously we had a, a bit of conversation, not about this specifically, but the point still um, is relevant in that your muscle doesn't know anything other than force over time over kind of like contraction and extension. So obviously as your muscle stretches and shortens, that's it. That's all it knows. It doesn't know like whether it's a goblet squat, back squat, front squat. Obviously, yeah, so they'll have different mechanics them slightly and maybe um, different leverages. But other than that, it's kind of like, well, you know, force is force to a certain extent. So yeah, definitely. I think your mechanics come into play hugely in exercise selection. Um uh, do you want me to go on to add anything or you, is there anything else you want to add to uh, it? Yeah, feel free. I was, just, I was just going to say in terms of like, yeah, that's that's definitely a big point. Um, I think there's probably some some basics just to help people with something to, to action. I think like to start with in terms of like, okay, I just want to kind of talk about specificity again. So going back to the, the first point, if people don't listen, go back to last episode and just remember whatever you're picking has to be specific. But there's probably some, so just w- w- in the context of weight training and building an overall physique. So uh, we'll, we'll say hypertrophy just based on obviously, although you're obviously focused on strength, you know, more muscle means more strength, hopefully in the long run. So um, we'll, we'll kind of just preface that. It's still relevant to powerlifters, et cetera, et cetera. Um, there's probably several movement planes that you want to cover. So in terms of exercise selection, and I think most would agree that trying to build a well-rounded plan that doesn't, so I want to, how do I put this? So I want to to kind of just say, obviously we're not thinking in specific scenarios in terms of anyone focusing on, on something. Cause you might have special, I suppose what I'm saying is some people have like specialization cycles where you're focusing on one particular thing. So it might skew your exercise selection slightly, but so let's just talk very optimal, generic, across the board, you know, will suit most people kind of thing. So I tend to program across um, someone that's kind of well-balanced that, right, there's all these general movements or planes of movements that you want to follow. And obviously it'll just only be like a a squat, um, uh, a hip hinge, a push and press types of movements and obviously pull movements. And that's kind of like your, I suppose your, your, your five planes of movement that you would generally try and cover. And if you've got some exercise sections that cover all of those planes, um, Generally, for me, that's a good start and exercise selection. Um, yeah. And I find that it's kind of like, okay, well, you, which movements fit into which planes? So obviously people need to know that, obviously, um, a back squat obviously covers a squat, a, a goblet squat covers a squat, etc. A box squat covers a squat. I know, obviously, that's probably not easy because, you know, a leg press would still kind of cover a squat. Um, that obviously is an easy example as they all have squat in the name. <laughs> but you then start thinking, okay, what about pulling movement? So what what is a pulling movement? So you think, okay, what movements fit into a pull? So obviously you kind of got most rowing movements are pull movements. So uh, bent over row, pendle rows, low rows, you know, I'm trying yeah, to think of something. Rows, yeah. the rules on the machines, there's... So many. Ton. Yeah. Um, so it's basically just thinking about it like that. So you kind of got your five planes. Can I cover my five planes movements? And have I got exercises that I can do with the equipment I've got with the that suits my biomechanics that also allows me to have some type of progression on that movement um can I do all that and fit it into my schedule basically it's mm-hmm. probably an easy way to start a program um obviously you then got to consider the things we talked about last week so in terms of like well, how much that exercise do I do i.e my volume um how much weight do I use in the bar i.e my intensity um 
and obviously your frequency is how you spread that volume over the week say um so you kind of obviously got to go back to, to some of the hierarchy and think about how they all fit in but i think like exercise selection that's kind of most of the things i'm trying to think what else i talked about um i suppose the only thing to add on all of the um, movements that you would consider to be in a plane of motion are probably more um, compound or compound-esque. And then you've got your isolation exercises as well if you wanted to focus more on specific yes. something like a bicep curl or a tricep pushdown. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Or something yeah. are all kind of in another group that are probably more isolation exercises. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because actually it's very much well worth just kind of defining the difference between the two if we haven't already on any of your podcasts. I don't think we have, but do you want to go to define each one? Or I know um, you kind of half did them, but do you want to do it? So to define a compound movement, um, it's basically a movement that uses multiple muscle groups um, to perform the exercise. So the main ones being things like a squat, a deadlift, um, a bench press, a uh, some rows, for example, Um basically the exercises that use more or bigger muscle groups mm. um and then an isolation exercise would be something that focuses solely on one so one the words sorry <laughs> focuses on one muscle group so something like a bicep curl should be only working your bicep and if you have say your shoulder coming into it or your tricep or other muscle groups coming into it you're not performing that exercise correctly yeah. um i'm just going to it's a spectrum between the two, so yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. No, I just want like, so yeah, multi joint versus single joint. I suppose is probably yeah. the easiest way to do it. And I'm gonna, yeah, yeah no, I just want to slightly. Me and Ed had a really good debate around bicep curls as a great example in terms of, um, obviously it's an isolation exercise, i.e., kind of as you say, you'd expect one muscle to be used. Mm-hmm. I kind of said to him, well, actually. I don't think you could ever get anything specifically where it's you're only ever going to get one muscle group. I think even on an isolation exercise, you still get multiple muscle groups using. Like you, you said shoulder as one, which I think you're trying to minimize for the most part. But obviously the anatomy, and obviously I'm not a biomechanist, and I know obviously you've said, you know, obviously your training knowledge is kind of very much around the powerlift and stuff. But some things, there are like multiple muscle groups do work in tandem to make some work. Like shoulders are a prime example of that. Your actual shoulder, like your, your um, anterior delt obviously has some, play in um, shortening your bicep and obviously mm-hmm. so like kind of using that to a little bit i.e like bringing your elbow like everyone says you need to have your elbow stuck by your side say and obviously the conversation me and ed has actually um using your shoulder slightly i.e bringing your elbow up in um your, your elbows away from your uh, torso not so not outwards or upwards um that can actually help peak contract your bicep more and obviously get a more range of or fuller range of motion on your bicep and obviously that's something that people use um, sometimes to get obviously like say a stronger contraction on the bicep so I think there's never really like a definitive this versus that the point you made is absolutely right in that an isolation exercise generally tends to use one joint focuses mostly on one exercise but I think you're never going to get a true one and it is semantics really because obviously it doesn't really matter you know like compound or exercise is just not even really relevant to, uh, sorry compound versus isolation it's not really a relevant conversation you don't even need to define them it's not like well that's a constant that's a compound that's an isolation it doesn't really matter because the idea is actually no i'm doing that exercise do this and i'm doing exercise to that it doesn't actually matter what i call it yeah. that makes sense so um yeah that's just it's, i think like in terms of programming it's widely accepted that most people because of the point you made and that your compound exercises multi-joint high highly skilled um highly fatiguing because they do use 
loads of muscles, um, obviously multiple joints, as I just said, they can tend to be the ones that require the most effort. So from program, you usually pick them first, right? Yeah. So for most people, you would, you know, take a squat as your first exercise on a leg day, say, assume you do a leg day. So if you did like a lower body day, uh, for most people, you do a squat first, say, if you had a squat in your exercise and you wouldn't go and do a leg press and then do a squat afterwards for the most part, um, purely because obviously you're going to fatigue yourself before doing your highest, um, what's the word? Uh required no what's the what i can't think of the right word like the Mo- highest skill really, most yeah most taxing skill. yeah most yeah. most taxing it so you don't you wouldn't go and do like a leg press weigh yourself out and then do you do your most taxing exercise next which obviously your the compound movement like, i mean there is obviously an argument that a leg press is a compound movement like you say to a certain yeah. extent but that's where obviously this spectrum evolved and it's not really that's why i don't i think defining them as compound isolation can be a bit misleading or, or dangerous if you don't really know because obviously oh I can't you can't do a leg press because obviously it's a compound move I'm supposed to do in isolation well actually it's not really yeah, yeah. Um, anyway so yeah the other thing with that is another reason why I wouldn't leg press before I squat is it just increases your chance of injury a squat is yeah. a movement pattern that you do have to use quite a lot of energy and focus on your form because there is a higher risk of injury doing a squat than something like a leg press yeah so by pre-fatiguing yourself you're just putting yourself at a higher risk of injury and probably won't be able to perform the same amount of volume absolutely yeah i, I think on a leg press what's going to go wrong other than your leg bending the other way yeah. That's awful. <laughs> it honestly put me off leg press. yeah we talked about that in last week's episode it is oh. disgusting isn't it? it's like oh my god but other than that generally in a leg press if you fail you're just going to drop the weight stack and you're probably all right. You found a squat, you could obviously severely injure yourself. So yeah, absolutely. Very, very good point. Um, Yeah. So I guess just so I could bring it back compounds, you tend to do those first and then you generally move on to accessory work, which tends to be isolation moves just because like you say, you can build volume on a lot of those exercises. Um, So these kind of like less skilled, less fatiguing, um, more automated or automatic types of exercise like a bicep curl where it's just you know lift the weight up it's not particularly difficult uh, yeah right, there are some annoyances in form in terms of like the, the point we we're arguing or talking about in terms of you know how the form movement's done to focus on your mind muscle and get the right muscles working but other than that it's kind of generally easy and it's an easy way to build volume in accessory work without having then that risk of injury or higher risk movements mm-hmm. so that's tend, tend to be why you then uh, focus on them after your compound moves, right? Yeah. So again, so bring this back to some relevant uh, exercise selection. Cover your planes of motion. So your um, squat, hip hinge, push pull. Yeah. What have I missed? Isolation. Missed uh, yeah. Okay. You can you can um, separate push into a horizontal and a pull. Yeah. Put horizontal yeah. pull or vertical pull, yeah. Um, and obviously, that's kind of like in terms of the motion you're pulling towards your body is probably the easiest way to describe it, isn't it? So, um, obviously, that just targets different back muscles. So, um, I suppose obviously, you push technically, you could obviously argue incline, flat bench, that type of stuff. So, I guess you would target the muscle at different angles. So, again, this all comes into some of the annoyances of exercise selection in, in picking, um, you know, incline versus decline, or although I don't know many people that would need to pick decline bench press, but by the by um so yeah one more thing that's just popped into my head on exercise selection um is people probably this is a statement and you may agree or disagree but week to week people probably shouldn't change their exercise selection too much within a 
kind of a macrocycle. Is that the right word? Macrocycle. Macro yeah. um, it's more between macrocycles that you want that you might think about uh, if you're kind of hitting a bit of a sticking point with one of your exercises and you can't progress it any further. Then you might think about kind of swapping it up for a equivalent variation. But week to week, you probably shouldn't be like rewriting your program and rewriting your program and rewriting yeah. do, your program. Do you mean mesocycle rather than macro? So macro being a full year. Do you mean that's no, yeah. right? I just want to check. Um, yeah. yeah, definitely. Uh, if, there's there's always been a lot of debate around how you know a lot of people like shock the body, man. Switch up every week. You know, you need to target do different different exercises because otherwise your body gets used to it. And obviously that's that's BS. Um, what would you, I mean, how often would you say change it? Because for me, I, it's quite funny actually how I had this conversation only today with one of my one of my best mates mm -hmm. around, I've done the same program now, probably give or take one or two exercise switch outs, which, you know, they're probably both actually more forced from injury than actually any other reason why they've changed. But mm -hmm. other than maybe one or two, maybe three exercise variations, I've pretty much done the same program now for about nine months, maybe a bit longer. Um, and I said to him, it's probably less than maybe I should, in inverted commas, um, in terms of what I've done. But actually, I've not been bored of it, so I've kept with it, really. Um, so what, kind of what's your opinion, how often you would change stuff? My opinion, and what I do with anyone that I do kind of training programs with, is if you're still progressing in exercise and you're still making improvements week to week and you're still um, kind of getting in a training effect from that exercise, there's no um, actual reason to switch it up. The main reason I would switch things up is if someone turned around to me and said, I'm getting bored. And then that comes back to the bottom of the pyramid adherence, because if someone's getting bored of the program, they're going to be less motivated to go and train. They're going to kind of put less intensity into their sessions and just go through them movement patterns but if you can progress week to week to week on a exercise i see nothing wrong with doing it for nine months as long as you're still kind of making progress mm -hmm. i have nothing more to add perfect uh in my opinion so yeah absolutely agree um i think there's some i suppose uh, yeah I, I i say that i've got nothing more to add i've got one more thing to add, just pop their head in that there might be some benefit to changing it up to just to tap muscles from different angles but I do think so little as percentage and the point you've made is absolutely the most important that if you're progressing week to week then and you're happy, you know, and this then you're adhering then nothing to worry about. So um cool. Uh yeah, I think the other thing just one more thing on exercise that I want to add is I think you've touched on slightly, but things like biomechanics, so making sure that your exercises fit the way your body moves, or at least you know, like track. So, say take like certain ranges of motions and stuff. So, some people might not be able to squat because they can't squat properly. You know, they might not just have the mechanics allowed to do it. The hips might not open enough, or um, I don't know. You tend to find people have really shit dorsiflexion in the ankles, so they just can't squat properly. End up leaning over and doing good mornings rather than anything else. That type of stuff. I guess it's kind of like, well, if that's the case, find a different exercise that might work. So, if you can't back squat, maybe front squat are working because obviously your front squat mechanics allows you to sit more upright. So, you therefore, you might avoid something like lean, say, or I don't know, buy some decent lifting shoes. Um, mm -hmm. Just that type of thing. Um, obviously, you mentioned around, obviously, there's no one other than, unless you're a powerlifter, no exercise you have to do. Um, and that's absolutely true. So, just find something that fits your mechanics. Um, it doesn't mean you can't work on a range of motion, say. So, obviously, train the range of motion you've got, but obviously you can still then do other things to kind of help increase that range of motion um yeah. and then you just can obviously progress or if you need to regress and progress into 
Yeah, so as you inevitably want to do. I mean, there's obviously squats are brilliant muscle builders, but um, if you can't do a squat properly, then you could be better off on a leg press or bloody extension, let's be honest, a leg yeah. extension. So um, all you can do the 8 billion manner of different types of squats you can do, like goblet squats or dumbbell squats or um, body weight squats or squat squats. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So, There's um, so many variations. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I think that's it. I can't think of anything else relevant for exercise selection. No, I think we've covered um, So next on the list was rest periods. Yes. So hit me. What is a rest period? So your rest period is the period of time that you rest between the sets of an exercise that you're doing. Um, and if you're a powerlifter like me, that can be somewhere up to about five plus minutes between sets um but that may not be optimal for your schedule because it can mean that your sessions end up lasting three plus hours how long do your schedules last Fran? uh anywhere between an hour and a half and three hours depending on what i'm doing um how heavy i'm going and how much time i feel like i need to rest between my sets so for example my heavy deadlift day it can sometimes take a good 45 minutes to work up to my top single, but that is just because I'm taking my time to warm up um, and taking enough rest between my attempts so that I can really hit my top single um, well. Uh, and then the same with all of my back offsets as well. Um, I will rest five to 10 minutes between them just so that I can attack each set with um, a good amount of intensity and intent. Cool. So in terms of the mechanics then of why, like basically we, we kind of briefly chat about the body, but kind of why are we resting? What does it do in terms of the, the, the mechanisms of being able to go from not lifting to lifting? Um, so basically when you're doing um, kind of these shorter uh, intensity bursts of exercise, so for example, a set of five or um, a one rep max, you are primarily, well, you are using all anaerobic um, energy systems. So you've got um, primarily in those exercises, you're utilizing your ATP stores and your phosphocreatine stores. Um, so by resting in between sets, that's just allowing um, those stores to start to replenish um, so that you can basically have the substrate there to go again when you do your next set. Yeah. So for those that don't know, so like your anaerobic energy system is a very low capacity system. So yes, it turns over really quickly, which is why it's really good for a high burst intense stuff, but it runs out quite quickly as well. So that's why you can't do a shitload of work capacity or load when it's obviously really intense exercise. So you just run out basically very quickly. Um, so yeah, you've kind of got to then quickly turn that over again while you're resting effectively. So basically get your ATP regenerated um now obviously you say kind of anything up to five minutes plus um we obviously have looked at a, a, a meta-analysis so a study of studies looking at or reviewing the literature out there which shows what's best um i think obviously the conversation we had is around right okay well it does is going to be quite specific to your goals so shall i go through what i mean by that yeah so i guess we said like um, by specificity, we mean like a uh, the amount of rest periods you might have might determine the outcome you want, i.e. 
a shorter rest period where you're not allowing that ATP to generate that quickly. Get rid, obviously, um, any waste products, lactic acid, that type of stuff. Um, that if you if you're kind of not allowing so short rest periods are not allowing that to happen, that might mean that you then start to get a bit used to working in that state, and you might build what you would call obviously work capacity or muscular endurance. Um, so obviously, if that is your goal, there is a reason for you to really limit or time your rest periods and keep them really short because you want to really build like the the I don't know I've referred to it before in the last episode I think um, uh, workout density or exercise density or just density in general you know kind of whatever you want to call it um, but basically muscular endurance so you kind of really get used to working in that fatigue state and and build new endurance. Um, conversely. If you want to get really strong, i.e. a powerlifter, like Fran said, her, some of her lifts are very much going to be more around the five minutes or five minutes plus potentially because you want to make sure that she's fully rested and fatigue free as much as possible, waste product free as much as possible to basically give everything into that one lift. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're like kind of like the two ends of the spectrum really. Um, obviously for you being a lazy ass student, with loads of time in your hands that's really <laughs> no joke obviously for people that obviously got more time in their hands then you know five minutes works the problem is for a lot of general people listening that either one have no aspirations to be as strong as possible i.e powerlifter um or two you know kind of just don't have that time and generally just want to be you know look a bit better um probably something more in the middle is going to be uh better so because i think the problem is if if you want to if you still want if you want to look better Obviously, we're going to refer, or we're going to assume that you want to be more muscular and you want to lose body fat. So you kind of, you know, that in terms of looking better. Now, obviously, the more muscular part um, means that you need to accumulate volume over time because we've said that's the key driver or main driver of building muscle. Um, to be able to accumulate more volume over time, um, the 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 one minute rest periods kind of work on muscular endurance. I think inevitably, because you're working that round where you're going to be tired, you just can't accumulate as much volume because you're just too knackered to lift as much over time. Um, and obviously the other end of doing five minutes, you know, you don't see many absolute, you do do some, but obviously, you know, like powerlifters can probably have a lot bigger strength to weight ratio than they do just being big, right? Mm-hmm. Fair yeah. to say. Um, yes, there's still some fucking jacked and huge powerlifters, obviously, but that's probably more because more muscle, more, more muscle, more muscle is more, is obviously allows more strength. Um, not necessarily because they are stronger, um, mm. if that makes sense. So for, I think for most people that just want to obviously look better, that's somewhere in the middle is going to be better it's going to allow them to accumulate more volume. So I would recommend for most people anywhere from one to three minutes, probably one to three minutes, say, it's probably what I would say recommend for most people's rest periods. But the caveat is going to be actually, uh, I think my advice and recommendations for people just to go in there ready. Yeah. Like don't worry about oh I've got to get my stopwatch out and time it because to be honest there is no like there is no no better say it's probably more like like specificity as I say um in terms of like loads lifted I think the the the, the one to three minutes in the research shows that people can lift more load over time i.e more volume and therefore for hypertrophy it's probably that range but it is a range still um and also you got to remember all science uh is applicable to general population not individuals you know they are literally averages by definition that's what stud, like sample size studies are unless it's a, a study of one person I and mean, then it only relates to that one person then you can't like you know that's the only time it's relevant so you need to t- take it with, like, as as that is and that 
you know these studies are across averages and you need to work find out what works for you because you might not be an average you might be an outlier you might be a genetic freak or you might be bang in the middle you don't know but just basically have a little play you know i think um how i guess you you, you might not be the best person to ask this given the whole powerlifting thing but um, i was going to say how do you know when you feel ready to go again i suppose gosh now i'm probably not the best person to ask for me it's more when um it's more when my mentality when well first when I'm not out of breath anymore because I do get very out of breath doing my sets of <laughs> six reps um so I suppose for most people it's kind of when your um breathing has kind of re-regulated and you know that kind of heavy feeling that you get in your leg just after you come mm-hmm. off your leg, like slightly jelly feeling mm-hmm. usually after a minute or so that kind of like starts to um go a little bit and you feel mentally also like you can go right I can attack a set again yeah. it does take a little while where you're like oh I'm knackered and your brain's kind of saying don't do anything just chill rest and then you do get to a point where you're like no now I could re-go I could go again yeah. so it's a bit of the mental a little bit of the actual physical feeling of kind of your legs coming back to life a little yeah bit. absolutely agree I, d- I think it's definitely worth not walking past the kind of the psychological aspect because I think there is definitely a moment where your brain isn't ready to go whatever reason that is like mechanistically i don't know but there is definitely a reason where it's like yeah i can't quite like i might even feel physically recovered a bit but i'm just not quite psyched up enough to go again um which i central fatigue kind of stuff so if your brain kind of senses that your body has exerted itself massively Mm. it's not then willing to send out impulses to carry on letting your body exert itself to um kind of its full force in order to like protect your body a little bit Mm. um and that's just called central fatigue. So when your brain isn't willing to send out the impulses and that potentially has something to do with it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, no, that, like, I'd love to know more about it, but there's, that's, there's, that's definitely real in my opinion. Um, yeah, and I, I get like with you, same thing. Breathing comes down, um, your heart rate tends to normalize a bit and you just know, you just feel like, let's say, you, like you say, whether it's the your central nervous system just kicking in again and whether it's all the, you know, the stuff we just talked about starting to dissipate, you just think, right, I'm ready to go again now. And it, for me, it is always around the two, three minute mark. Obviously, harder sets take a bit longer or whatever else, but I kind of just know when I'm ready to go. Like Sometimes I know if I've gone a bit early and I end up peeking out too early, I think, yeah, I went too early then I knew it. Yeah. Uh, I, I knew as soon as I stood on the bar and re- unracked it that I thought that I knew this squat, this this set wasn't going to be as good. Yeah. Um, just because I went that tiny bit early. Um, and that would change, obviously, in terms of your, uh, I say, fitness capacity, your, you know, uh, even the intensity and stuff on the bar and that type of stuff. It's obviously you just you just get to know though. So you kind of the more experience you have, the more you'll realise. Like, I just you know my my rest periods kind of they just they regulate themselves almost to a certain mm-hmm. extent. So yeah. Um, so yeah, obviously, unless unless you you're trying to build that energy density, or I, I don't know if we if this is before we record or, or recording, but unless you've really stuck to a time schedule where you, you can only afford two minutes rest and you, and if you're later, that means you're gonna be late for work, say, um, then I, you know, I don't think there's any reason to really record that to, re, you know, record or, uh, actually monitor your rest periods. Yeah. No, I, I wouldn't say so either. 
Yeah. Although it did just pop into my head a minute ago or so. Um, I train, so I train in a gym where a lot of the British weightlifters also train and they do record their rest periods purely because when they come to compete, they have quite short rests in between mm-hmm. their um, attempt selections mm-hmm. just due to the nature of the competition in that it's a rising bar. Yeah. So sometimes they have to follow themselves. So sometimes they only have a minute to two minutes in between their lifts. Yeah. So when they're coming closer to competition, they do record their rest periods yeah. and literally the only example i can think of of a very good reason to record your rest periods because uh, they work on their yeah basically making it as specific as possible yeah. to the competition yeah because they get called out and obviously if they then miss it they then obviously fail so yeah um again that comes down to that specificity doesn't it and that that's very specific to the sport and there's a they can rationalize why they're doing it yeah so. that, yeah unless you're time pressured um it's better probably to go a little bit early than to not get half your session done because you're resting too long in your first exercises so yeah you don't want to be late for work get told off by your boss yeah. exactly. unless you're a student and you don't care but um it's myth lecture yeah, no jokes you know different student life is very important you're sh- you 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 are our future it's quite hard as well you know i don't think you realize sometimes no, I'm, I'm joking i just like <laughs> you up i like fishing um actually i really hate fishing you know i'm, I'm talking about the um metaphoric fishing rather like the actual fishing i can't stand (laughs) so okay i think rest intervals we've done it really if anyone anyone wants to go over um because i spent ages trying to find this fucking thing so i'm going to reference it now so there is a meta-analysis on pubmeb rest interval between sets in strength training by uh salas simao miranda uh noveas lamos and willardson if anyone's interested um that is from you know what hasn't even got a year on it how annoying is that mm-hmm. um but that was uh laboratory for clinical and experimental research in the vascular body biomedical center state university of rio de janeiro there you go so obviously they went through 35 different studies and obviously gave you their information on rest period so there you go um cool right so on tempo on to tempo so i'm gonna start this one if that's all right yeah, that's fine. Basically, you know how anti-tempo I am, and then you can tell me why I shouldn't be so anti-tempo, um, or tell the listeners because I'm not going to listen to you. No, I'm joking. Um, we've already had some. You've already changed my mind slightly on some bits of it, so that's good. Um, but I, I just, I think for so, so let's define tempo actually before we go. So tempo being the time you're spent both, um, no, not both, all, all the parts of your lift. So uh from concentric uh time spent at the at a bottom of a lift say to the eccentric time at the top so basically just you know you often find exercises prescribed in a tempo format of um one zero two zero say so one being the one second down say on a bench press say one second down zero pause at the bottom two second no i've got that right around don't i so you're two second up <laughs> you wouldn't go that slow on a bench press <laughs> um anyway you get my point and then no rest at the top then go again so basically you're just describing the tempo that you make a lift um fair other than yep. my really poor example um, cool so and obviously the idea being like for some people so no the contra- controversy that we had was around re- is there ever a uh space in a program for where you would specifically manipulate some of the tempo to much longer longer lift um parts to basically increase performance hypertrophy or whatever um because obviously i suppose a lot of people think oh the slower you lift it 
the more time under tension, bro, um, which means more gains, which I'm fairly certain, and I'm not an expert, so like anyone who can and probably will correct me on this, but I'm sure that I read some stuff from Schoenfeld over the past four or five years where kind of when they compared uh, different times under tensions, the longer ones did not result in more hypertrophy um, on the basis of that lifting a weight for a lot longer. So if you imagine again that example of a bench press, slowly lowering the weight and slowly pushing up meant that the actual lift, the weight on the bar they had to lift was so much lower that it just didn't interrupt or produce any um, adaptation or as much adaptation as someone just lifted it normally. So that's kind of where I get most of my general recommendation from in terms of tempo being just don't just just do it controlled so like again going back to that bench press example you know you would have a reasonably controlled but speedy descent you know controlled though not just drop on a weight same with a squat you know and then probably a more explosive eccentric part of it yeah um and that's generally like that tempo i generally don't prescribe very many different tempos for people um just again because i think the only reason you would is probably around specificity and this is where you come in and tell me why yeah why, why that's so important so uh, from a powerlifting perspective but also you can transfer it into just normal training as well i suppose the reason i would use tempo is kind of twofold um the first being that if you've got someone that is not very familiar with a movement pattern such as a bench press um, actually getting them to do it with a slower tempo helps um, kind of drill in the bar path for them. So it helps them learn the movement pattern. Um, and instead of just dropping the weight, which is most people's natural reaction, just to drop it to your chest, um, it really drills in that bar path when you're bringing it down to your chest so that you ch touch it on your chest at a certain point. Obviously, with powerlifting, you have to pause it on your chest. Um, so it also helps. Um, so, for example, if you were to do a tempo where you had a extended um, pause at the bottom of your lift, that really drills in keeping tight um, in that bottom position. Um, and then the same again on the concentric, either just a one second concentric, so an explosive up, or again controlling that so you get um, used to the bar path. Um, so that would kind of be the first reason. Um, and the second reason you might do it is because in a powerlifting program, you are doing quite a lot of normal squats, bench and deadlifts anyway. Um, so by adding in a tempo variation, um, it's just another way to get some volume without having to use kind of maximal loads that you may be using for your competition lifts. Um, so you would usually use a slightly um, lower weight, uh, but you can still get in some good volume with kind of things like yeah a three count pause bench or a slow eccentric or um a paused squat or something like that i suppose without going through every single different um type of tempo variation it would be very hard because each one has a slightly different kind of reason why you would put it into someone's program yeah i don't even need to necessarily know all of the reasons anyway just the fact that I suppose, like, in my head, I'm thinking, right, if you can explain it, mm -hmm. I'm not saying I 100% agree on it all anyway, because, you know, we've had this conversation, but as long as you can explain it, I think at least you'll think about it, and there's generally then means there should be some good, reasonably good rationalization for it. I definitely buy the fact that um, focusing on tempo can really teach people to lift properly. So, either if that is bar path, or even to be honest, 
using the right muscles. So, you know, we've talked about it before um, and kind of my, um, my muscle connection. I think, you know, I'm not talking the kind of whole hippy dippy, my muscle connection, bro. I'm talking more around just at least feel the fucking muscles you're using. Um, Cause I'm not saying like these people that focus purely on my muscle connection. Cause a lot of body, a lot of people do just think the only thing that matters is my muscle connection. Whereas actually, no, um, volume intensity still matters a lot. You can't just focus on feeling the squeeze in the muscle, bro. You know, you can't just focus on that because inevitably that leads to not a lot of progression because, you know, you, you, you still got to put volume and intensity through it. Um, but I do think it definitely teaches people to do that, to focus on using the right muscles. I think it definitely, will, I can see the, the logic around focusing and helping people on, you know, the right bar path and the right movement patterns, definitely. Um, I also absolutely buy variation. Now, I think from like a mechanical perspective, this is my opinion, I'm just kind of musing really and just, just rambling, but it, I, I kind of think, I'm not saying it's the best way, but I definitely feel like coming back to that main thing at the bottom, adherence, the variation of stuff like that might just keep people doing more. Yeah. You know, like you say, and certainly from an injury perspective, again, I suppose, like if people find they can do more volume because they're feeling less beat up and less injured from doing, obviously, certainly in your realm, the, you know, powerlifting mm-hmm. realm, heavy maximals all the time, because that's going to fuck your joints up and your tendons yeah. up um, quick sharp. Obviously, you can't do that consistently over a long period of time because obviously, you know, we talked about this in the last episode, actually, myself and Ed, in terms of how easy it is to, to kind of build up fatigue in muscles and it dissipates just quite easily but it's not quite as easy to do that and obviously that's why deloads are really important for a kind of like joint and tendon recovery and stuff as well um and obviously that just plays into it maximal loads and stuff um i think like yeah i I buy that in terms of having different variations with lower loads but still being able to accumulate volume but i suppose the conversation we had pre-recording was like are, are those tempo lifts or pausing that type of stuff is that better or more optimal or is it just different then maybe someone just doing back offsets or drop offsets where they're not worrying about tempo, they're sticking to the same tempo, but they're just lifting less weight. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I see probably more of the importance of tempo things. So, for example, uh, I think we spoke quite a bit about doing it with a bench press, but, for example, doing it with a squat, if you get someone to pause in the bottom of the squat, it's also like cueing them to maintain their brace and maintain their tension and their tightness in that bottom position Mm -hmm. whereas you see a lot of people just like bounce into their knees and like bounce out the hole with Mm -hmm. a squat so getting someone to pause at the bottom kind of takes away any momentum um and then you kind of have to keep really really tight in that bottom position and then you do activate more kind of quad rather than just bouncing straight out of the hole yeah oh uh, yeah i guess like we mentioned yeah, no, totally. I guess we mentioned around removing like the stretch shortening cycle of muscles, um, which obviously is basically like a reflex or elastic reflex if people don't know. So, um, yeah, I don't really know how I feel. And I like I remember looking at this ages ago uh, when we were talking about knee sleeves. Remember, I remember kind of trying to look at the research around um, whether limiting or removing the stretch shortening cycle was a good thing for like hypertrophy. Because obviously, I, I don't, I don't necessarily think it's a good thing for strength. Because obviously, if you're doing that, you can lift less. Like if you're taking it out, you're making it harder. Is yeah. that making it harder than increasing adaptations, i.e., in like some other mechanisms? You know, like making something harder generally means you adapt better. But I don't know. I liken it a little bit like squatting on a busu ball. Everyone's like, "Oh my god!" Like you should never squat on a busu ball. And I'm like, "Yeah, you definitely shouldn't." Um, because putting yourself on an unstable surface for no reason, other than trying to make it harder for yourself, doesn't mean you can lift more weight. Because actually, you're 
limiting the amount of weight you can lose. What you sorry when you could just squat with a heavier weight and get a better adaptation yeah. from squatting heavier weight. And I kind of feel like removing the stretch shortening cycle is somewhat similar. Um, I suppose I can see the logic of definitely someone pausing at a squat and especially if you're like someone that struggles getting out of that hole, I think like lowering the weight and really focus on that part. So yeah, okay, okay, okay. I've come around in my head and I'm kind of rambling to myself and I think I've come to an, an, an opinion on that. I can definitely see training specific parts of that movement like that using a tempo or a pause can help. So that yeah. example squat is perfect in that training that bottom bit of the hole getting out. Because um, a lot of people do struggle, um, especially if, you know, they might really, like you say, lower themselves down, just bounce straight out of it, um, which is probably not the safest. Um, I mean, you used to, yeah, and yeah, and probably not great on your knees. Although I think you can still do that in a controlled manner, and then it's fine. But obviously, I suppose it, it's knowing what's the difference, or it's a fine line between doing that in a controlled manner, an explosive controlled manner, than just dropping into it and bouncing out. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Don't know if I did come up with an answer then or what, or not, or whether I just rambled through it. But I think, yeah, I, I suppose, yeah. like, I think, I think, yeah, training to a point. I, I suppose the bit where I said to you before we called about a bench press and specific to powerlifting, and the fact that you have to go on cues and that you can't just bounce. You know, you well, not say, say I use the term bounce in air quotes. You can't just obviously touch and go off a bench press. You have to obviously wait for a cue for a bar to be steady and go again before you can before you can lift. Um, so teaching like a pause bench press really helps with people queuing, I suppose, doesn't it? In terms of mm-hmm. practice, quite specific to, to powerlifting. But I guess for hypertrophy or just general weight training, that bit's not so relevant, which is again, like why my head around, I'm not a powerlifter, I see less benefit of it or less relevance as such. But but just the control of having to bring it down to your chest, keep it still on your chest and then press it back up is probably going to be inducing more muscular adaptation you've got a little bit more time under tension and just the control aspect of it because if you think about a touch and go even if it's slightly bouncy you're still using a slight bit of momentum yeah. at the bottom yeah but i suppose that you're using out on yeah totally totally stuff. yeah i get and that touch and go deadlift as well a lot of people just bounce it straight off the floor yeah no no totally and i get that and i guess like it just it comes down to i don't know the real answer in terms of what's best or what's not i genuinely don't um I just keep questioning myself around. Yeah, but by having that control, you have to use less weight. So that so so not that much less that I think it would create a. Well, I don't know. I don't know. That's the thing. I don't know. If, I think it is. I think like if you take someone's example of a bench press, I think for having to really control the movement, like say concentrically. Um, I think that you you do have to lower the weight a reasonable amount. Where actually, I think you'd be better off just you still have to control it. Don't get me wrong. And obviously, I guess this is where the argument's really hard to kind of yeah. decide what's best because obviously it's such a spectrum. I think you still have to control the weight, um, but it's just like how much do you control it and fatigue yourself lowering it down so that you have to drop ten kilos off a bar, say. Yeah. Um, and I don't think you. I just I don't know. I keep coming back to I think for most people you'd be better off having 10 kilos extra on the bar as long as it's still controlled i'm not suggesting you just drop it and bounce it off obviously because then you're not this that comes back to uh, my muscle and um you know mechanical tension you just you use momentum you're not really creating mechanical tension yeah. it's that really fine lines this is why it's really an interesting debate and obviously we'd probably do well having far more educated people than us in this manner on here to tell us <laughs> what the real answer is um yeah, it's interesting though. It's interesting. I think right. it, is, it is one of those ones that it's slightly it depends. Yeah, definitely. I'd probably, if your goal yeah. is more specific to powerlifting, then obviously 
some of the control stuff that we've spoken about is really important. Um, I definitely agree with that. I definitely agree. And I think we started, didn't we, with that saying, like, it yeah. does probably come down to specificity or specifics on it. Um, but I, I definitely like and, and absolutely agree on the whole variation thing around, you know, trying to help you deal with load or teaching people movements and that, like that type of stuff. I think the bottom line is you could say if you just did tempo, if you just did every single lift really, really slowly, that would be really dumb. But if you're doing a little bit of kind of like, if you're doing some normal squats at a normal tempo and then you're also adding in some tempo work as either a variation or like in your back offsets or something else, then that's probably a sensible way to go about it. We're not suggesting go and do like every single set with a five cent with a five second down and a pause at the bottom sort of thing. You run that perfectly. Yeah. That's an amazing round up. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, like I say your, your normal work basically though, like again, I just want to repeat what I said a moment ago. I'm not, like, I think we should all be under the agreement that it's controlled no matter what tempo you use. Yeah. It's not a case of just throwing weights around because that's not going to benefit strength or hypertrophy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. what you said about deadlift that does annoy me actually touch and go deadlifts fucking really irritate me because I think oh. bear, bear in mind a deadlift is called a deadlift because it's supposed to be a dead stop mm-hmm. um, that doesn't normally see people bouncing but you still plenty of fucking very well educated people still touch and go and I'd, I'll, I'll be honest I had an, an argument with uh, a couple of very well known people uh, in the fitness industry. Well, so, like, obviously, well known within the fitness industry, not outside of it. No one knows who they are. But within the industry, pretty, pretty well known people around um, kind of touch and go deadlifts. And I was like, I get why they're doing it in terms of, um, I think it's more around being able to lift a bit more. Um, they're still like, the idea is a bit like what we we're talking about in terms of being able to control the movement more. But, like, I was like, well, I don't know. I just got over my head actually where I think of what the conversation went. But it's essentially for me, it's kind of like, well, like it depends. Actually, no, I'll tell you what, I'm going to, I'm going to reverse slightly actually. I'm going to reverse and think, I suppose with deadlift, if it's, if it's for powerlifting, the eccentric part of it means nothing, right? Mm-hmm. So you get nothing. Other than out. You have to hold on to the bar. Other yeah. than on the bar. But then I've, I suppose, like, I don't know if you do this, but I've, I know a couple of decent powerlifters that at the end of, I don't know how they do it actually in terms of whether it's at the end of like the last set. I think it's probably in the last set. I don't think it makes sense to do it in any of their other working sets. But in their every last set, their deadlift, they will hold on to bar as long as they can, mm-hmm. just to improve their grip strength. Grip strength, uh, yeah. Yeah, and I say so that sounds like a good idea. But obviously, mm-hmm. the eccentric part of the lift is kind of like, well, you know, for most people, like you're training, you lift it and you just drop it from powerlifting because you don't really get a lot of the eccentric. I suppose from a hypertrophy perspective, rather than powerlifting, so hypertrophy rather than strength. Yes, mm-hmm. there's probably some benefit of slowly controlling the weight down. Um, I just, I think from a safety perspective, I don't think touch and go tend to lead. I think this was the argument I was having. I don't think touch and go, i.e. bouncing the weight off the floor, tends to be as safe. Because obviously you can't breathe, brace and reset. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly it's a lot harder anyway. I guess some some of these people might be very experienced with lifting. They feel like they've got it nailed and, and can do that. But I guess it also, also comes down to that stretch shortening thing again. Um, mm-hmm. Although that, that argument is going to be contradict the whole point that I made that I don't think stretch shortening cycle is a bad thing because <laughs> obviously that would mean that I should be touching and bouncing or touching and going off deadlifts based on my opinion on that. So yeah, I'm, I'm a hypocrite slightly there. <laughs> yeah. It's hard, isn't it? Obviously the whole the lifting philosophies are so, so difficult. And I think yeah. that's why there's so many, there's no re- real right or wrong answers in a lot of, because even form, like 
I don't know, you should go back, if anyone's interested, go back and listen to a podcast from a couple of years ago, probably, maybe a year and a half, from 3DMJ, where they were talking about different types of training, like different range of motion, is there ever a place, that type of stuff? So I think yeah. they even talked about t- lifting tempo on that, actually. So they were yeah. saying about different types of training, like lifting tempo, uh, half quarter range of motion, that type of stuff. Was there ever a place for it? Um, so that's really interesting, because obviously they said there might actually be some points where you would whereas most of us would look at someone doing a half squat in a gym and think that doesn't count mate yeah yeah no well it's actually funny because bearing in mind i'm in a performance gym at loughborough um you see a lot a lot of half reps but it's from the sports teams where you've got kind of jumpers or rugby players or netball players that only ever need explosive strength in that, in that top small strength curve yeah yeah, yeah. Squat to depth because they don't need it that's not what they're training for yeah but there they're you go you've just you've just immediately explained it and I, and I think that's it. That's the problem with going up to on the gym going, all right, mate, that don't count. Or saying, do you want to help with that? Or, oh, you'd be better off lowering the weight, mate, and doing a full rep. Because they might turn around and go, do you know what? Actually, I'm an Olympic level sprinter and I'm actually just training that range of motion that I only use when sprinting. Don't, yeah. you know, I don't squat when I sprint, so I don't need to train strength through that entire range. And you'd be going, uh, yeah, sorry, mate, I'll go back and get on my workout now. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, admittedly, in your general gym, that ain't going to fucking happen, is it? Let's be honest. No, but, but you know I mean? The whole point is, you. I think, actually, I think it was on Steve Hall's and Pascal's Revive Stronger quite recently, only the last couple of weeks, where they talked, someone asked the question, would you ever go up and ask someone in the gym? And that was kind of like the answer. Not that specific, but also the answer was really like, I wouldn't because you just don't know any of their background or the reason why they're doing something. So either one, they might not give a shit and tell the fuck off or two, you might not understand why they're doing something. And you might end up looking silly. Yeah. So, which is obviously the example you gave just then about sprinting was a prime example where you might end up looking silly. Yeah, I listened so. to that podcast as well, actually. Oh, did you? There you yeah. Go. There you go. That's it, yeah. And to be fair, I was kind of listened to thinking to myself, because I agreed exactly like what Steve said mm-hmm. and that 99 times out of 100, I would never ever even consider it, even if I saw people with what I consider poor form speaking yeah. to them because they're probably trying to piss off like who the fuck are you the only time I ever have done it or would do it is when I've been a fitness instructor in a gym and it's been a regular customer that I absolutely full well know isn't an Olympic athlete and yeah. I know that they are trying to do an exercise for example a deadlift and they are just using atrocious form and I'm scared that they're going to hurt themselves under yeah, my yeah. Yeah. and then uh, I would say something I, I, <laughs> uh, absolutely not especially yeah. not I'm training. I've got my headphones on and I'm focused on what I'm doing rather yeah, yeah. than. Yeah, I, I think that's fair because obviously you're an, you're an authority in that environment because you know <laughs> you work there. You know, I think you've got every right to say to them, um, not say to them. You've got every right to ask them if they need help. Say as example, or, or can I give you a few tips or whatever. I think yeah. if there's a stranger in the gym, it's a bit different, isn't it? But yeah, there we go. Um, right, obviously, sorry we've overran for you. Um, right. Have we covered everything? I think we have. I think so. I think, I think... it's been quite. Yeah, good. Yeah, it's been good. Um, I've enjoyed these last three weeks talking about training stuff, actually. Um, just kept taking a bit of a break from nutrition. Um, definitely going to take up your offer, I think, um, if you're happy to do it in terms of getting some the other powerlifting coaches on maybe to talk a bit more specifics around that. And obviously you can yeah, you can awesome. obviously add your bits to it as well. Yeah, no, that would be good. Uh, bear in mind, you are, you are head powerlifter. Yeah, head of powerlifting, what, yeah. What, whatever that, that title is. So it's not like you're unqualified. No. No, absolutely not. Um, of, uh, uh, is it fair to say Luff was one of, if not the best powerlifting gym? Or also gym um, team? Well, yeah, we won um, won the university championships last year overall. So hopefully we're going to look to retain our title next year. So in that case, yes, you could say we were yes. one of the best. 
definitely no best teams in the, the country the best not one the best, the so, best. Um, there you go so more than qualified I believe head yeah. head of powerlifting at the best I think that makes you the most qualified in my opinion yeah now so, you say it yeah, <laughs> yeah it does so uh, no that'd be cool I think it'd be interesting for people because we've got a few um, obviously few people you know that powerlift within our our community obviously Steve being one of them as I said he's competing today oh, so yeah. I haven't heard from him yet so I don't know he's got on uh, I'm assuming it's not still going at quarter past nine, but I know these things can sometimes take a lot of time. So I was about to say I've definitely been at a meet until about ten o'clock before, so oh, okay. maybe it's probably, it's probably more likely he's just not bothered to tell me because he's too busy eating all the food now yeah. or whatever else. But not not he's been dieting; he's actually been eating into it because obviously he was in the eighty three class. Or oh, actually, right? What 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 uh, federations have eighty two and a half kilos? Is that Ooh, normal? Not normal at all. No. Yeah. He told. Well, I, I said I said I thought you were in eighty three class, and he corrected me and said eighty two and a half, and I was like, okay, unless that was what he weighed in at, maybe. Maybe. Might, might be what he weighed in at in the end, because I think when I spoke to him at the start of the week, he was only on about eighty point something. Um, so obviously, in terms of from from weight, he hasn't had to worry about cutting at all. He's just yeah. eating as much as he can into it. In fact, more than he has been feeding the previous weeks. Um, yeah. I just said he mate, just eat as much as you want without feeling uncomfortable, and, and don't start to feel sluggish. Um, yeah. in terms of food perspective so obviously he doesn't have to worry about that so um, yeah I don't know how it, maybe he's just like kind of well, I don't know I say he's gone out and eaten all the food but he's like I said not doing dieting actually so he's probably just relaxing based on my experiences it's A like a cultural thing to go out and eat loads of food regardless yeah. of whether you've dieted and B you're so wiped out after a competition just because all of the adrenaline and yeah. it's like the whole hype of the day mm. But usually you just want to crash in a dark room and sleep. But it doesn't sound a lot like doing nine lifts. It doesn't, um, but when you think that those nine lifts are over probably and... a period of five hours and yeah. you have to warm up for everyone and get hyped and the adrenaline that goes through your system is crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's what I mean. I think people, when you think, oh, you're only lifting three bends, three deads and three squats. How hard is that? I think, well, yeah. But I'll be honest, if you ever tried one rep max testing, that's hard enough. Yeah. That's another conversation. I bus afterwards, honestly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I bet. Yeah, me and Ed had a conversation about one rep max testing in one of the last two episodes. And I basically said, unless you're a powerlifter, don't ever fucking do it. There's no point. Unless, no. You're just, unless you're just a bit of an egomaniac and wants to know what it is. It's not worth it. Otherwise, it just takes too much out of you to fit it into yeah. a, a training plan, in my opinion. I think I listened to that part, actually, because you were saying that it, you'd have to, like, taper for a week and then you'd have a week after well, that's what I mean. but, it's like two weeks off productive training so what's, what's the point yes yeah it's no point if you're not yeah. i said it's only it's only for the ego yeah because let's be honest for a program perspective you can program off estimate estimates in terms mm -hmm. of if you're programming off intensities you can estimate you don't need to have uh your actual run rep max because let's be honest it doesn't matter the only time <laughs> it matters is if you need to lift your run one rep max are you yeah in the competition so cool right Bruce. right let you go because you're late for whatever I am it was <laughs> you need to be off so um great to see you yeah good to catch Obviously up nice to catch up because other than text it feels like we don't speak enough no i know so. i've now got in my diary actually sunday nights are blocked out every week so good hopefully i'll be much more of a regular good because we need we need up. good because we need a bit more intellect on this podcast rather than myself and ed <laughs> the so, bread podcast the bread show yeah cool <laughs> right right cool see you later Thanks, see ya. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the No Nonsense Nutrition Podcast. We'll speak to you all next week.